Greetings, this is Lieutenant Zrem of the USS Arabella, and you are listening to Admiral Rico on Treks in Sci-Fi. Thanks, Zrem. Hey, this is Rico, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. This will be podcast 176 for June the 1st, 2008. Uh, Going to be back to a regular audio show this week. I hope everyone uh, enjoyed last week's video podcast. I got a lot of good feedback on that. I really enjoyed doing it for all of you, and uh, glad you enjoyed watching it. Uh, This week we're going to be covering the original series Trek episode, Miri, from early in the first season of Star Trek. We're also going to be uh, talking a little bit about TV, movie news, uh, a little bit about uh, some TV uh, sci-fi themes again, a collectible later on in the show, and lots of good stuff. Got a segment, another uh, Vartok segment as well, so that'll be good about another a musical uh, composer uh, that he's talked about before, but this is kind of a continuation of that. So that and much more. I wanted to start off with, though, this week, uh, a little tribute to Alexander Courage, uh, who passed away uh, this past week. Uh, he had a long career in uh, TV and movie uh, music. Uh, we've done some segments on him before. Uh, the Obviously, the main thing regards to him and this show, Sandy uh, Courage did, uh, of course, the classic intro to the original Star Trek uh, series, let a lot of music on the original series, and a whole lot more. So we're going to play his uh, a version of his uh, theme song to Star Trek. This is from uh, the CD Star Treks. I will put a link uh, and information about that in the podcast notes. Uh, K-Truck sent this to me along with, uh, I also have this CD in my collection. One of the earliest CDs actually I I got because it was a very early, uh, I think it's made by Telarc is the disc. Anyway, it's got a lot of cool sci-fi music and from stuff on TV and movies and a whole lot more. So anyway, here's our tribute to Sandy Courage. Uh, Rest in peace, Sandy. Here we go with uh, the podcast.
Well, again, welcome to the show, everyone. That uh, was from Star Tracks. It is a uh, cool uh, CD, digital, uh, by uh, it's the Cincinnati Pops Orchestra, uh, conducted by uh, Eric Kunzel. Anyway, I'll put some uh, linkage into the podcast notes. That's a little tribute to Alexander Sandy Courage, who passed away this uh, last week. Really great uh, rendition, I think, of the Star Trek theme, so I thought you might enjoy that. Uh, and uh, again, uh, it's uh, really amazing, you know, how much work he did over the years in music and film and television. So, Sandy, uh, we'll miss you. Admiral Rico will now cover the latest in movie news on Treks in Sci-Fi. Well, let's see. As far as movie news related to uh, Star Trek, uh, there was a report earlier this week. They had some descriptions of the different ships, vessels that we will see in the uh, Star Trek film coming out, of course, uh, in May of 2000. Hey, less than a year away now, May of 2009. Uh, this is uh, somewhat spoilerish, so I'm not going to really describe it here. If you want to learn more, uh, you can either check uh, the Star Trek uh, or the Treks and Sci-Fi forums or also trekmovie.com, uh, of course, is a great site, like I've mentioned many times, for Star Trek movie news. It's about, uh, I think they mentioned like four different vessels. Uh, of course, one is the Enterprise. That's not m- much of a spoiler, I don't think. But the other ones do give away some things about the plot, so I'm not going to mention those uh, right openly on the podcast here. Uh, Although I don't think there's really that much there that people haven't heard if you've been listening to a lot of the things and talk about the movie. I know know some people don't want to hear anything, so I'm aware of that. I'm kind of one of those a little bit, but I'm also not um, completely oblivious to uh, what they've been releasing. It's hard to avoid it, especially doing what I do with the podcast and the website and everything. Anyway, it's some very interesting stuff. Uh, One little tidbit in there I thought was a a kind of a neat twist that I didn't realize uh, involving, uh, I'll just mention Kirk's family. Let's just put it at that. So uh, check that out over at trekmovie.com. I also wanted to mention that this is sort of related to Star Trek and movies and things and television, but uh, we had another passing uh, just uh, announced uh, just yesterday Robert Justman, who was one of the, uh, you know, really founders in a way with Gene Roddenberry and a few others, Gene Kuhn, uh, who worked on the original Star Trek series. Robert Justman has passed away. I think he was 81, it says. Uh, he had a very long, of course, career in, in TV as well and uh, and really had a, had a big influence, I think, on Star Trek. So uh, we'll miss him as well as Sandy. So a lot of these uh, Star Trek uh, venerable veterans uh, passing, which is always sad. Uh, you know, the original series came out more than 40 years ago, and these guys were well into their careers at the time of uh, the show going on the air, so it's not really too surprising, but it's still a bit of sad news. But I think he had a long and uh, very uh, uh, interesting life, to say the least. They, he did a book uh, a few years back uh, that was uh, put out in a hardcover. I think it might have come out in paperback eventually, too, uh, I think it was called Inside Star Trek or something like that. It's over on my shelf. I just, uh, I don't know, don't want to run over there and pick it up. But you'll find it. Go to Amazon.com. But it it didn't come out that long ago. But a lot of cool information in there about Trek uh, and some photographs and and lots of nice stuff. So check that out when you get a chance uh, uh, about Bob Justman. Not exactly movie news, but related to Trek at least, uh, there are some very cool kind of basically sexy pictures of uh, two Australian college students named uh, Chaki, 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 I don't know, C-H-I-A-K-I, I'm not really sure, and Ona, 
who are known also as Chona Stock, C-O-C-H-O-N-A Stock, S-T-O-C-K, on DeviantArt.com, which is a great art site. Uh, they've got a new series of photos on there. They're calling it uh, Starfleet Red Shirts Redo. And basically these two girls are in different... Um, uh, different settings in, in red shirt type outfits from the original series, and, and they're very attractive, well done. I mean, they've got they've got the uh, uniforms on, so you don't have to worry about you know this being nude photographs if if you don't really want to see that kind of thing. Anyway, I'll put a link to it in the podcast notes. It, it's some really great stuff. They had a story on this over on again trekmovie.com. Uh, one is done up as uh, an Andorian, pretty well the makeup, and in one looks like a Vulcan and another just a human uh, look. So anyway, check that out, uh, Chona Stock over on DeviantArt. And of course, uh, Indiana Jones, uh, you know, related to the movie talk that I want to do right now, has still been doing pretty well in the box office. I know it dropped off, I think, a lot this second week uh, from a little bit that I've heard so far, but that's to be expected. Uh, You know, it is, uh, it gets a lot of that opening weekend, people going to see it that, uh, and then, you know, everyone's running out to see it then, and, and then the next week's drop-off. Pretty common. But anyway, uh, I still enjoy the movie. I talked about it a lot last week, so I won't do it again. I still have to go out and see Narnia, though. I, I really enjoyed cr- the first one, the Chronicles one. And uh, I want to see this one, uh, Prince Caspian, while it's in theaters, because it looks like it has some cool fantasy elements, and I'm a big fantasy fan as well as, you know, Trek and sci-fi so I want to go see that soon uh, at the theaters, uh, probably this week sometime, I think. Lieutenant Zrem here again. Admiral Rico will now be covering the latest in geeky television news on Treks in Sci-Fi. Well, on uh, TV uh, information and news, we, we had some uh, finished up uh, one series, at least one sci-fi-ish series. I think at least it falls into that category. Lost finished up uh, this past Thursday for its uh, this year's run of episodes, a little shorter season because of the strike. But uh, really interesting stuff in the last episode. Lots to think about. Uh, they really finally tied things together a little bit between sort of these future scenes they've been showing and, and the stuff going on kind of, I guess, in the, in the present, you could call it, on Lost. Uh, I'm not going to say a lot of people haven't seen it. It's only came out a few days ago. But I really enjoyed it. I thought they did a great job this season on Lost, made things very interesting. I have no idea really what's going on. There's a lot of theories floating around, but man, they they really did a lot of uh, crazy stuff in this last episode. So I I know the people working on the show have always said it has very reasonable scientific ex- explanations for everything, but I don't know. I'm starting to kind of wonder about that. I, I I just there's some things that have happened that are really hard to, for me to explain. So, uh, but maybe they've got something in their back pockets that they want to. Uh, pass it off and, and, and say it's all reasonable. I don't know. But Lost, still a great show. I'm not sure when it'll be back. I, I think I've been hearing, you know, maybe not until early 2009, which is just going to be kind of a shame. I, I just think they have too long of a wait between these uh, years and seasons of TV shows. So uh, Galactica still continues to be a great, interesting show. We've only got a couple more left before this end of the first half of Season 4. They had a really good one on Friday, this past Friday night. I really enjoyed it. Uh, quite a bit of things, uh, quite a bit of uh, new stuff kind of happened. And again, kind of tying things up. And you can kind of see, I had read or heard that it was going to have sort of a uh, a semi-conclusion um, in a way to this first half of episodes. 
before they kind of take this break. And we may not again see the other part of season four until early 2009, but we'll keep an eye out on that. Uh, and Doctor Who is still a very enjoyable sci-fi uh, type show that I is airing at least here uh, on the Sci-Fi Channel on Friday nights. And I think we're I don't know how many episodes were back behind the BBC airings of them. I know it's several, uh, but uh, at least we're getting it fairly soon to them showing in England, so that's great. Uh, uh, We're going to take a a short little uh, divergence here now, and we've got another uh, musical segment, and this will be the first part of it, and uh, here we go. everyone, this is Vartok again with another music in sci-fi segment. For today's segment, I'm going to continue to talk about Bear McCreary, the composer of all of the Battlestar Galactica music, starting with season one. In today's part two of three segments, I'm going to play some of season two's music and let Bear describe in his own words what goes into his process when composing music for this award-winning television show. By the way, this track is called Reuniting the Fleet, track number 18 of 23 on the Season 2 CD. In this one, you can hear Bear reprise the theme he used in Wander My Friends from Season 1. Now let's continue to learn more about the process a composer like Bear uses to create his music for an upcoming episode. How, do, how does a, a block of your work schedule work for one episode how does it how do you get footage <laughs> how long do you in? have <laughs> that's the question have? that always comes up i it here people say well how long does it take to score an episode of Battlestar Galactica and that's not the, the right it depends qu- on the episode it <laughs> well time. i have uh, i take as absolutely as much time as i'm given if i have 3 weeks it'll take 3 weeks if i have 7 days it definitely takes 7 so days so then how does the process go that's for you? that's the right question to ask because the process is always the same and i try i think of my time in in sort of percentages and i realize you know that uh, the first third of my time should be creative and writing and nothing else if i rush that if if i if i spend you know just a quarter of my time writing the notes and the rest of it we record a bunch of cool stuff it'll still be crap mm-hmm. you know so I try to spend as much time as I can writing and I always prioritize the really cool cues first so that I have all my energy and especially once the time gets shorter uh, you know I want to make sure I have all my energy for the best cues then it goes into uh, recording and we have anywhere from three sessions to uh, the episode called Pegasus had ten sessions okay so we heard that in general It takes about as much time as he has available to create a score. Deadlines are important. In this next segment, we hear about how Bear got the gig to become the composer for Battlestar Galactica, and where some of the themes came from. By the way, in the background, you are listening to Prelude to War, track number 17, where you can hear the influence of Bear's classical training. The score that I wrote for the, the pilot of Battlestar was we were taking a lot of the themes that Richard wrote um, 
in the miniseries, which I, to finish the story real quick, I worked for Richard Gibbs and he scored the miniseries. I ended up uh, collaborating with him and helping him write out a bunch of the extra additional cues. And he took on the show. And when he left to go back to feature films, because I had already worked with him and worked with his sound, uh, they gave me a shot at doing the show. And wow, there you go. So, um, the first show that I scored was uh, the pilot, not the pilot, but you know, episode 133. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up writing some cues that I didn't think would be important. And some of these little pieces that I wrote ended up being thematic material for, that I'm still using. Baron Neck talks about how continuing to compose for Galactica has influenced his effort over time. For example, once he has themes composed for the various characters, he can reuse them, and this helps to speed up his efforts. I'm not, I'm not reinventing the wheel every episode. I know what my sound is, I know what my characters are, you know, and I know what the music's going to do. So I, at this point, I'm really fast when I see a show Battlestar, I know what it's going to need. But certainly when I got started, when I did the first episode I ever did, I, I definitely took a lot of time and just tried to figure out what... Um, what it needed. You are now listening to Black Market, track number 23, which includes some of the most hard rock sound in any of his tracks. And now the poser for later in this podcast. What is one of the most unusual instruments Air has ever used in his music? Stay tuned, and I'll be back with the answer later in this podcast. Well, thanks so much again, Vartok, for that great uh, segment on Bear McGreary. I love his music on, on Battlestar. I think it's very different and very unusual. You know, it's not a... Uh, kind of, uh, it just doesn't sound like any other sci-fi or fantasy type TV show or movie. It's not Trek-like or Star Wars-like. It's got a very unique sound, and I think that's uh, one of you know one of the great uh, uh, appeals to uh, to what he's done on Battlestar is just the uniqueness of the music. So again, thanks very much for doing these segments. Really great, uh, great stuff to listen to, and very interesting. Oh, and while I was listening to that segment there, uh, I did go look over on my shelf. It, the book is called Inside Star Trek uh, by uh, Bob Justman and Herb Solo, who both worked on the original series. So check that book out. Great uh, great stuff. Very interesting read. Okay, the next segment I want to do before we get into the discussion about Miri, which I'm going to not do a full commentary this week. It's just going to be clips of me talking about the show for Miri. But before we get to that, I want to do another uh, sci-fi credit uh, theme song for you from another uh, a favorite show of mine. And I really like the uh, the way the music and and audio and vocal part of the uh, theme song goes. So this uh, series aired from uh, 1995. I guess most of the ones I've been doing lately have been pretty recent shows, but I'm mixing it up, I think, a bit. Anyway, this one was from 95 until 2000. Lasted for about five seasons. It kind of also jumped networks, and uh, it uh, was a very interesting show. Very different each week. Kind of, uh, uh, you know, the same thing. Like I talked about Quantum Leap uh, once. How each week it was a kind of a different and unique show. This one also had that going for it as well. So, uh, here's the theme song to uh, to this show. 
What if you found a portal to a parallel universe? What if you could slide into a thousand different worlds? Where it's the same year, and you're the same person, but everything else is different. And what if you can't find your way home? That's the uh, theme to the cool show Sliders, which, uh, again, lasted for five seasons. It uh, eventually ended up on the Sci-Fi Channel. They just released season four on DVD, finally. You can find that over at Amazon.com. The first three seasons, one and two is a package in a set, and three came out uh, a little while ago, and now season four. uh, And they still haven't, uh, it seems, released the last season, which was... You know, this show kind of started out great. The first two, three years was was really good, and then it kind of weakened quite a bit, and the characters changed. Eventually, even the last season, Jerry O'Connell, who was, you know, Quinn Mallory, was the basically the main lead of the show. He discovered this way to travel to parallel Earths. He wasn't even in the last season, so, you know, it's just difficult to do a show like that and, and continue on, so... Anyway, uh, but again, uh, still a great series, a lot of cool episodes, and uh, and John Rhys Davies is in it too for quite a bit of the uh, airing of all the uh, or quite a bit of the episodes that were made. Uh, of course, he was Sala in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now I want to get into the discussion of uh, the episode Miri from the original series, one of the uh, early episodes that was done uh, in the first season of uh, original Trek. So let's to get this uh, ball rolling. Let's play the, uh, this is a one minute long preview of Miri. Not a lot of dialogue in this. This episode tends to have a lot of uh, scenes where they're just sort of searching around on this planet and there, there are a lot of scenes with no dialogue. But anyway, I think you can kind of follow along, especially if you know the episode. So here's the preview uh, trailer to Miri, and I'll be back and we'll get into the meat of the episode. Captain's Log, Stardate 2713.5. We have made an astonishing discovery. A planet which apparently is an exact duplicate of the Earth. Don't hurt me, please. This is the vaccine. It could be a beaker full of death. Okay, with the episode uh, Miri, this episode was, let's see, production order number 12. It is written or was written by Adrian Spies, directed by Vincent McEvity. 
I can never say his name right. Anyway, this episode is very interesting for a number of reasons. Uh, one, it's uh, they discover this parallel Earth. I think that's an interesting concept and idea. And they do that a few times throughout Trek's uh, history and run. But uh, here I think it's pretty effective. Uh, the, the main idea here is they discover this planet which appears to be just inhabited with children at this point, And they discover through their investigation and research that all the adults have died through this disease and only the children are left but they're aging very slowly and that's kind of the the gist of this but they're also trapped on the planet because the minute the landing party goes down to the surface they also uh, get the disease as well Uh, there are a lot of interesting moments in this and we'll go through it as uh, i play the different clips Uh, one thing uh that most well not most but maybe some people know that uh both Grace Lee Whitney, who played Yeoman Rand, and William Shatner, of course, as Kirk, both uh, uh, they both had kids that appeared in this episode of their own. Uh, Grace Lee had a couple of sons that are in the episode, and William Shatner, one of his daughters, uh, is also in this episode as one of the children. You'll sort of see her uh, walking away with him towards the end of the episode. Uh, if you look closely, uh, you can see this little girl he's near. And that's his daughter. So anyway, uh, that's kind of nice that they got a chance to do that. Um, you can see even in Star Trek bloopers that they've done, there was a, a classic one of Spock uh, having his son come up to him on the bridge. Uh, that That's a cool little blooper. But, yeah, these uh, actors all had little children. A lot of them had little children, I should say, at the time of filming the original series. And they'd bring them sometimes on set or they'd visit them while they were working and so forth. And here in this episode, they got to use them in the episode itself. So let's get into the episode main um, main episode uh, discussion. <laughs> ah, need some more Gatorade. Uh, what do I have here today anyway? Let's see. Uh, lemon lime. Oh, yeah, lemon lime, my favorite. I, I pulled a good one out of the uh, multi-pack from Costco today. So that is the drink for the podcast. Uh Anyway, uh, let's get into the first clip. This one is uh, very early in the episode where they discover this planet, uh, and they're getting a signal from it, uh, kind of a distress signal. So listen to this. Measuring the planet now, Captain. Spheroid-shaped. Circumference, 24,874 miles. Mass, 6 times 10 to the 21st power tons. Mean density, 5.517. Atmosphere, Oxygen, nitrogen. Earth. Not the Earth. Another Earth. Another Earth. One thing I wanted to mention here is the effects for this episode. I was watching, as I collected the clips, I was watching the the new enhanced version, because I do have season one uh, of the enhanced uh episodes that they've done over the last couple of years that they've been working on at CBS. Anyway, this episode, uh, the, the planet shots are, are what they mainly enhance to make it look more Earth-like. And, you know, even the continents and everything are exactly like uh, the Earth that we know, even though, you know, Spock goes through all those scientific specs and everything there kind of lines up with Earth. I mean, even they, they show in the with the enhanced effects, you can see North America and Florida, and it looks just like Earth. And uh, maybe a little hard to swallow, but uh, I guess with the infinity in, in infinity, infinite worlds and solar systems out there, it, it's pretty likely and pretty you know possible that there could be another Earth that would be just much like the one we have. But uh, you know, you got to get 
you know, just get into the episode after that point. So let's play another clip. Identical. Earth. As it was in the early 1900s. Or the uh, mid-1900s. I would say, Captain, approximately 1960. But where is everybody? Readings indicate that natural deterioration has been taking place on this planet for at least several centuries. You mean there's no one alive? Not conclusive, Yeoman. The evidence would suggest that the distress signal is automated. You know, this is marvelous. The most horrible conglomeration of antique architecture I've ever seen. I always think it's a little bit funny that, you know, Spock seems to have more knowledge and and of history of Earth than than the, you know, humans do. But I guess that's the Vulcan in him and his, you know, superior intellect uh, at work. Uh, I noticed in the landing party here again, you have uh, you have Kirk, you have Spock, you have McCoy, uh, Yeoman Rand and a couple of security uh, redshirt guys, although um, I think they survived this episode or does one of them die from the disease? I can't remember. I, I don't think they did, but I'm not sure. No, of course they didn't, because I think McCoy would have been the oldest of all of them, and he ends up uh, surviving. So I don't think any of them get killed or any that. So the red shirts survive. Anyway, uh, this is another an example. And original Trek did this all the time. I mean, the, the main characters, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, you know, they'd go beaming down to the planet, you know, not knowing what they were going to run into, and Unlike what they tried to do with Next Gen in the later Trek series where they they would say, hey, you know, the the captain never or should never almost, except, you know, in select circumstances, leave the vessel, leave the ship, leave the bridge of the, uh, of the, of the, you know, his command. I I just, you know, if you watch Galactica, that doesn't really happen too often. Well, I I shouldn't say that. You know, Adama does go off, and in their most recent episode, he really went off uh, and left the ship. So I guess it's... uh, it does happen, but you know it. It really just goes into the whole. We hired these, you know, fairly highly paid actors, and what are you going to do? Okay, you've got a highly paid actor, and you're going to then turn it over to some guest star or a, a, a minor actor to to sort of drive the episode. So they they have a little bit of a conundrum there. I always thought though that they tried to balance that out a little bit better on the later Trek series, but this is still fun. And, you know, it wouldn't be nearly the episode it is if you didn't have the main cast, the main characters down on the planet. So uh, let's go on to another clip of Miri. Don't hurt me, please. I'm not going to hurt you. No, please don't. I didn't do anything. I won't hurt you. No, please don't. I only want to talk to you. No, don't. Don't hurt. No. Don't, please. I won't hurt you. Don't hurt me. Come on. Don't hurt me. Take the guards, have a look outside. Radioactive readings, chemical pollutions, any further sign of life. All right, Captain. I wonder what happened to her. She should be so terrified of us. Now, the, the character of Miri, which, by the way, I really like that name. I think that's a really nice name uh, and, and unique and a little different. You know, they didn't just call her Mary or, or you know, Catherine or who knows what. Uh, you know, they tried to give her a little bit different kind of name. 
the, this uh, the actress there is uh, Kim Darby. Uh, really did a lot of work early in her uh, life, and uh, I think she was one of those you know, you know young actresses that did some stuff and then eventually kind of went off and 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 faded away from acting. At least that I can recall. She did uh, uh, one one of the classic parts she she ever was in was the uh, uh, great movie True Grit with John Wayne. She was uh, in that movie. She also did a uh, a movie with William Shatner later on after post uh, this role, post Trek. I think it was in the early 70s, uh, kind of a sci-fi type movie. I'll try to look that up while I play the next clip for you. I can't remember the name of it offhand, but uh, it was uh, a sort of a sci-fi bent type movie. Uh, but she does a great job here. You know, she's trying to uh, play uh, scared and all that, and of course on this planet... The grown-ups are the ones that get the disease and uh, go pretty much nutso, and that's why all the little kids, the or the onlys, are afraid of them. So, uh, and you'll hear more about that uh, in the next clip, which I'll play for you right now. But I remember the things you grubs did: burning, yelling, hurting people. We didn't do anything like that. You're not going to hurt. Of course not. We're here to help. Grubs don't help. But we will. What happened here? Where is everybody? You know. No, I don't. Won't you tell me? You got a foolish at it and you want me to play, but I can't. I don't know the rules. I've got to know the rules. Fooly game, you know. You can't play a game without rules. Even Grups ought to know that. What are Grups? You are. They were when all these get old. Grown-ups. You said something about the Grups doing bad things, yelling, hurting, burning. That was when they started to get sick in the before time. We hid, then they were gone. Am I doing all right? You're doing fine. You said the grubs got sick. Is that why there aren't any of them around? Yes, they died. But that was after the awful things. A play, Captain. That could explain a lot of it. But what about the children, the onlys? Didn't the awful things affect them? Of course not. We're here, aren't we? More of you? How many? All there are. Yeah, that, uh, again, Kim Darby here as Miri, I think, does an excellent job. Uh, the, the movie I was trying to think of before was called The People, uh, about some alien, and like, extraterrestrials that are... Uh, Wanting to live on Earth, uh, she was in that with William Shatner in the early '70s. But and again, uh, she does a great job in this episode. the The original storyline and script, though, for this episode was much more, uh, I guess, Peter Pan like. Uh, Miri was uh, sort of playing, going to play the role, kind of of a Wendy character, and they uh, Michael J. Pollard, I think is how you say his name, who plays, I think you say Jan or Jean. Uh, he plays this sort of male leader of all the onlys in Miri. He was going to be the sort of Peter Pan character, and he sort of looks like that a little bit with the funky hair and, and kind of a green outfit, although it's sort of a military-looking uh, coat that he's wearing. 
he also was another one of those actors that did a lot in his young younger days and uh and he kind of disappeared off uh off the face of acting at least from what i know in tv and movies didn't see him a lot uh, later in his life uh but uh, he does a good job in this episode as well. But there was, again, uh, this element more that they were going to be sort of Wendy and Peter living with all these little children around them. And then when Mary starts to get the disease, they were going to sort of cast her out from, you know, their own version of Neverland, which uh, which would have been a little different twist on the episode, I think. But uh, maybe uh, a little more difficult to pull off because she would have then had to go off with them uh, and the onlys more often. And, and I think they focused more on her with uh, the members of the Enterprise landing party and Kirk especially. And I had to say, there were a lot of times when I was watching this again and, and Kirk and, you know, he says, Muriel, that's a pretty name and that kind of stuff. It, it starts to look a little, uh, you know, Captain Kirk robbing the cradle there a little bit. Uh, it looks a little, uh, you could easily edit this episode and make it look pretty, uh, well, let's just say Kirk uh, being that uh, galaxy Lothario that he is, he, he didn't help his reputation a whole lot in, in the way he was uh acting in this episode to a degree i guess so but uh hey let's move on to another clip captain's log star date 2713.6 the building mary led us to also housed an automatic transmission station which sent out the signals that drew us to this planet we also discovered something else that the blue splotches characteristic of the unknown disease had appeared on each of us with the exception of mr spock there was a well-equipped laboratory in the building. Dr. McCoy took tissue samples of each of us in an attempt to isolate the organism responsible. A veritable zoo of bacteria. Beam down a biocomputer and a portable electronic microscope. If I'm going to be dealing with viruses, I'm going to need better equipment than I have here. Yes, Doctor. Captain Kirk? Yes, Lieutenant. I've got volunteers standing by ready to help you, sir. Under no circumstances do I want anyone to beam down from the ship. We can't take any chances with further contamination. But, Captain, if you become too ill to... My orders still stand, Lieutenant. You can help us best by clearing the computer banks and standing by. Kirk out. Yeah, so there you get some basic information on what's going on. They're all getting the disease, of course, by... uh, Except for Mr. Spock, the Vulcan. You know, it doesn't affect him. And, uh, you know, although he does get things that uh, humans don't get later on in different episodes, of course, the classic... uh, a muck time and pond far. It doesn't really affect humans. Although that's more of a, I guess, not really a disease, but just sort of a natural occurrence among Vulcans. Uh, but the disease is, uh, you know, this this thing that they created on the planet trying to uh, prolong their lives kind of had a, you know, backfired on them a little bit and make them age very quickly and, uh, you know, get pretty ugly looking. <laughs> but uh, anyway, how about another clip? According to their life prolongation plan, what they thought they were accomplishing, a person would age only one month for every 100 years of real time. 100 years? And only one month? Exactly, human. Evidently, through some miscalculation, this virus annihilated the entire adult population in a very short period, leaving only the children. But that means these children could very well be immensely old. That would certainly answer the question of what happened to their parents. Answers it very well. Children who never age. Eternal childhood filled with play. No responsibilities. It's almost like a dream. I wouldn't examine that dream too closely. It might not turn out to be very pretty. A few days ago, our 
week ago, that creature that attacked us. Could have been just like Mary. A child entering puberty on this planet means a death sentence. Do you suppose she knows? I don't think so. Well, if they're as old as Spock claims, they must have some idea of what's happening. There's no adult interpretation. I think we're dealing with children, immensely old perhaps, but nonetheless children. I've got to do something about the others. Difficult. If we can't even get a glimpse of them. You couldn't get close to the other kids? Impossible. They know the area too well, like mice. Yeah, so you hear a little bit in that uh, sequence there that that uh, the idea of these children never growing up, never growing older, uh, follows that sort of Peter Pan idea here that this is a, a planet of children sort of in a Neverland situation where they can always play for hundreds of years until they hit that um, you know puberty stage where the disease would start to affect them. But that still would take a long time, you know, if the idea is they're aging for um, only a month for every hundred years that go by. That's uh, pretty slow, you know, for the kids that were really young here, they'd be uh, playing for a long, long time. Of course, they discover some little problems with that. There's no adults around. There's no new um, food sources, and, and, and it's a little tricky for a bunch of kids to try to live that long without any adult uh, aid. So it's a uh, not-so-perfect Neverland, I guess. Uh, let's play another clip. This one's rather long, but I think it's uh, it shows some important things as the disease starts to uh, take its toll and, and grip on the landing party and Kirk. And there's some good bits with uh, Yeoman Rand in here as well, who I think gets to do quite a bit. Grace Lee Whitney gets uh, quite a bit to do in this episode, and it's, it's interesting to see that since she was in so few episodes of the original series. So here's this next clip. This one's uh, a little more than a couple minutes long, so I'll be back after it plays. Captain's log, star date 2717.3. Three days, seven hours left to us. Investigation proves that the supply of food left in the area is running dangerously low. Unless something is done, the children will starve in a few months. In addition, the disease is working on each of us according to Dr. McCoy's prediction. Our tempers are growing short. And we are no further along than we were two days ago. Haven't you found a thing yet? Would you like to take a crack at it?
we're all frightened. slide I examine, I failed to make the necessary adjustment. For the slowing down of my own response... Well, what you find? The disease, Captain. The one they created 300 years ago. There's a chance. A chance. At least it's a race now. And we've just wasted a minute. So that scene, you get to see how uh, Yeoman Rand is. Uh, it kind of has a little bit of a thing for Captain Kirk, you know, that she wants him to uh, notice her legs, as she admits. And, you know, the disease is sort of taking uh, over a little bit, and she's got these, you know, blue goo all over herself. <laughs> but, uh, of course, McCoy comes up with an answer. And uh, it's nice to see the doctor, uh, you know, doing some real science and, and, and working on this, although. You know, the idea that in, a, in just a week or so, in a few days, they can come up with the answer and antidote to a disease that these people had trouble with. Uh, but that, I guess you could uh, account for by, uh, you know, the uh, advanced equipment technology and, and knowledge that uh, Starfleet and Dr. McCoy has compared to the people on this planet. And if being a parallel Earth, in the, the the disease should be something that he's familiar with, viruses and things and and come up with uh, something that would uh, normally be able to take those out. So I guess it's not too far of a stretch to believe that he could come up with an antidote. To, uh, what else? Let's see. I guess that's about it for that. Uh, uh, we'll go into uh, yeah, another clip. I think this one coming up here is uh, with Miri and uh, in the fact that she's also starting to get the disease. You, your friends, all the onlys are going to get the disease Unless we succeed in what we're doing. You've seen some of your friends get it. Sometimes it happens. Not sometimes, all the times, Mary. As soon as you start growing up the way you are. Don't you know why you don't like to play games anymore? Why you don't see your friends the way you used to? It's because you're becoming a young woman. And the moment you become a young woman, you get the disease. All of you. That's not true. It just happens sometimes. All the time, Miri. It's happening to you right now. Look at it. Look at it, Miri. It's in you. No! 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 Now, the uh, other kids, these little band of misfit onlys, uh, have uh, been able to take away the uh, the crew uh, crew's communicators. They were in there and kind of got distracted, and they've taken them. And so Kirk has to take, uh, she goes with Miri to try to reason with the onlys. And kind of one of the nastiest little uh, almost uh, tough scenes in, in this uh, episode and in Trek, especially the original series, is all these little kids beating up on Captain Kirk. He doesn't really feel like he can you know, just start smacking them around, that would probably not look so good. And, uh, of course, he, he eventually succeeds, but uh, he gets pretty uh, beaten up by all these with bunk bunk on the head and all that. So uh, uh, there's a clip here where he tries to reason with them a little bit and get back their equipment, and I'll, I'll play that clip now. Listen to me! 
You've got our communicators. The boxes we talk into. We need them to talk to the ship. Blah, blah, blah. blah, 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 blah. No, blah, blah, blah. Because if we don't talk to the ship, if you don't help us, there won't be any games anymore. There won't be anything. Nothing. No grups, no onlys. Nobody left. Forever and ever. Captain! got to help us before it's too late. Let Janice go. Give me those communicators before it's too late. Yeah, these kids have sort of become a little, like, feral over the hundreds of years they've been on their own, away from uh, adult supervision and that... Uh, even though the older children have sort of taken uh, taken the adult-type role here. One thing I, I was a little disappointed in in this episode is they don't really see what eventually, you know, gets through to the kids and why they eventually help Kirk give them back the communicators, let uh, Yeoman Rand go, which they sort of have sort of cab- captured or kidnapped. They just sort of show him sort of being attacked, and then they, they sort of... Uh, go back to the scene with McCoy as he injects himself with the antidote to test it out. And and then Kirk comes charging in there with the kids in tow, and he's got his communicator back. But uh, I would think almost after this much time that the kids would be looking to have some adults and around because ultimately, you know, I've got kids, and ultimately kids want a little discipline and, and you know, routine. Well, not really routine, but a structured environment uh, they they like that, and they they when they get used to it, with they don't have it, I think they kind of actually miss it. So maybe that's eventually what happened here, and Kirk gets through to them through that idea, and maybe he also convinces that they're all going to get sick eventually too. So uh, let's go to the clip here right after this is a uh, as Kirk comes in and McCoy's laying on the floor. They did this neat effect here with the. Uh, you know, as the disease is is beaten off by the antidote that he creates, they they did it old school kind of, and just film some uh, some seconds of footage. They hold the camera, you know, stop it, you know, keep his head in place, peel back a little bit of the makeup, and then uh, re you know continue filming and so forth to sort of have the make it makeup fade away. You know, no CGI back in these days. Three hours, eleven minutes left. Thank you, Lieutenant. Keep this channel open. Clear computers. Injected himself with the vaccine. He was unconscious when I found him. Look at his face. The blemishes are fading. Thank you. 
magical mind. Is this supposed to be a good thing, Mary? Of course it is. So the Enterprise crew, of course, solves the problem and saves the day once more. And uh, it's an interesting episode. I got one more little short clip for you, and I'll come back and, and wrap it up. Simply to leave them there with a medical Just check. children, 300 years old and more. I've already contacted Space Central. They'll send teachers, advisors. And truant officers, I presume. They'll be all right. Mary, she really loved you, you know. Yes. I never get involved with older women, Yoma. Mr. Spark? Captain? Full ahead. Warp factor one. Warp factor one, Captain. There we have Miri from the original series, Season 1. Uh, neat episode. Uh, you can see it with remastered effects now. Uh, it's uh, it's a good episode. I think there are some uh, strong performances in it, especially. The story is kind of uh, somewhat basic, somewhat routine, but uh, I enjoyed watching it again and collecting the clips. And I think Kim Darby as Miri is, uh, really uh, does a great job in that role. So... And, uh, well, you know, one of these uh, looks at a Star Trek episode wouldn't be complete without uh, the Moyers' unique take on it. So take it away, guys. Hi, this is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this is the, the Father, Father and Son, Son Review. Review. Today we are going to do the episode Miri in uh, several lines. That's right, Rick. So are you ready? That's right. And then at the end we'll tell you what we think of it. That's right, Rick. Okay, here we go. That's right, Rick. Old-fashioned SOS? Familiar atmosphere. Yeoman Rand says... Earth. Two, seven, one, three, point, five. Beaming down to the back lot of Paramount. Scanning for life forms. Spock says, 1960? Antique architecture. A broken tricycle. A crazy, deformed, gray-haired man. Ouch! Biff. Smack. Fix my bike. Of course we will. He's dead, Jim. What's that I hear? More people? Come on! Look in the closet. A, a, girl? Hey, that's my daughter. No, don't hurt me. Meanwhile, Spock and the Red Shirts go searching. The grups don't help. They hurt. They got sick and died. After the awful things. What's your name? Mary. Pretty? Spock searches. Guards? Nah, 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 nah. Rocks and stuff from the fire escape. More mocking? Eyebrows raised. Mm -hmm. There must be records somewhere. Take me to the doctor buildings, please. Okay, it's a bad place, but I like you. I wouldn't lie to you either, Jim. Ah! Legion on his hand! A laboratory is found. Beam us a computer. Fighting over microscopes? Dr. McCoy's got the blue source. Life prolongation program gone bad? A disease contracted at puberty? Wait a second. How can the adults be dead for 300 years and yet they're still children? Wait, these children must be immensely old. Puberty means a death sentence. We've got to talk to the other children. Let's use Miri as bait. She likes you, Jim. 
That little girl is 300 years older than Yeoman Rand. A band of ruffians! Let's steal their little boxes so they can't talk to the others. Miri brings Kirk a grup? Let's hide. Another zombie! Jump on Kirk! Shoot her! Nice hug. Sharpen more pencils, Miri. Spock discovers notes. Only a matter of time until we kill each other. Symptoms should hit us soon. We have seven days. We need to isolate that virus. The children, I hear them. Stealing the communicators. Three days and seven hours left. Haven't you found a thing yet? If you'd like to take a crack at it. Yeoman Rand. No, no, no! This can't be good. Back on the ship, I used to try and get you to look at my legs. Captain, look at my legs. Oh, oh. Mary gets jealous. Jim, I found something. There's a chance. The children plot to kidnap Janice. Bonk, bonk, on the head, Mr. Lovey-Dovey. The nitrogen level. What's the dosage? Where is Yeoman Rand? We need those communicators. Without them, it could be a beaker full of death. Mary! When you get older, you're gonna get it too. No, no, no! What are you gonna do with me? Tell him, Jim. This isn't a game. Listen to me. Give me back the boxes. Blah, blah, blah. If you don't help us, then there won't be anyone left forever and ever. Date up on him. One by one, you'll all get sick. Lying grup. Bonk, 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 bonk. bonk. Wow, look at those blue arms. What's going to happen to the little ones? Look who's hurting you now. You are. Let me help you. We can't wait much later. But the vaccine may be fatal. Don't do it, doctor. No. Here he goes. Ah! Is he dead, Mr. Spock? Not yet. Look at his face. The blue spots, they're fading. It's worked. McCoy and Spock save the day. Mary, she really loved you, you know. Full ahead, warp. Factor one. Okay, there you go. That was the uh, three entire show. Stars, three stars. Three stars from you. I'm going to give this one a three and a half stars. That was a pretty good show for TOS Adventure, and uh, I thought it was just funny. There's a lot of things in the episode that I wondered about, like... Boink, 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 boink! No, it was bonk, 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 <laughs> bonk. But anyway. But no, there's things I wondered about, like, like for instance, for instance, why didn't they just beam down some communicators for him when they were out of touch with him for a few days because the guy stole him? I thought that was kind of weird. And then, uh, I don't know, just why was Yeoman Rand on an away team? <laughs> when was Yeoman Rand ever on an away team? It was just in case they came ab- about a bunch of bees that they have to put in her hair. <laughs> That's right, because she has the hive haircut. That's right. Well, anyway, we okay. Vlog. So this is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this has been The, the Father and Son Review. Back to you, Rico. Very nice. Great job as always, guys. Thanks for your unique and uh, interesting take on Miri. Uh, it's uh, a lot of fun to hear uh, how you can sum up an episode in just a couple of minutes by saying lines like that. Uh, sometimes you can almost fast forward through, you know, episodes and see what's going on too, as well. You know, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, that's a good point about why didn't they just beam down some more communicators? You know, to the coordinates they were at. I guess. Uh, oh, who knows? Uh, but again, thanks for uh, your take on Miri. Hi everyone, this is Bartok again with the answer to the question posed earlier, which was, what is one of the most unusual instruments Bear McCreary has used in his music? Let's let him tell you himself. 
So yeah, so we we record a lot of live drums. You get tight. You get you have a we guy have taiko drums. We have right. Middle Eastern frame drums. We have doombex, tabla, chang chang. We have all sorts of really weird stuff. And didn't you say you did gamelan at one we, point? We record. Uh, we have a, some several bells. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and uh, we use a lot of gamelan sounds. A lot of the sounds you hear. Um, a lot of the gamelan sounds you hear are ones I've created actually out of other sounds. Like I was uh, I had to fix one of my PCs that broke down. I pulled it out of my rack and I pulled off the metal uh, cover, which is basically um, I don't know two feet by two feet metal square. Mm-hmm. And I leaned it up against the uh, the door and it and I hit it with something and I went oh and I was like wow that's cool. So I brought it over to my engineer's place. We sampled it and actually made a, like a bell piano sound out of it. Okay, so there you have it. One of his instruments is the lid of a PC. When he mentioned that he took it over to an engineering friend to sample it, that means they recorded the sound and then used that sample to create a whole range of sounds so it becomes like an instrument. Bill talks about using gamelan instruments in his music. Well, the word gamelan comes from the Javanese word gamel, which means to strike or hammer. A gamelan is a musical ensemble of Indonesia, typically featuring a variety of instruments such as metallophones, xylophones, drums and gongs, bamboo flutes, bowed and plucked strings, and even vocalists may be included. Other stuff you hear, like you'll hear trash cans, me scraping a trash can with a fork, Mm -hmm. and then I add stuff. I mean, one of the things that I... Knowing I'd be using a lot of synth sounds, I was horrified of using synth sounds and then hearing them on other shows. It's a pet peeve of mine. I know most of the fans probably wouldn't notice, but I always notice. So I try to create custom weird sounds and stuff like that. And, and Slick. like I said, though, we do have a lot of live, a lot of live instruments too. And, and a lot of the uh, pivotal, uh, pivotal episodes have a real string, a full string orchestra. For those who might be interested, Bear has its own blog site at bearmccreary.com, where he provides behind-the-scenes input as to what goes into the music in different episodes. In the background, you are now listening to Scar, track number 11 from season 2. Well, that's it for this music and sci-fi segment, and now back to you, Rico. Thanks again so much, Vartok, for doing that. Uh, he's, he sounds like a real interesting guy, interesting composer. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Ben Burt and his work on Star Wars and other films that he's done where he collects sort of real-world sounds and, and sort of blends them in and uses them in, in the things that he needs to create for uh, for whatever he's working on, different effects. And not so much music, I guess, for Ben Burt, but sound effects in that. But a similar idea. And one thing I was noticing as I was listening to the music uh, that he's composed for B as a G is is it it has a very kind of ancient quality to it you know sort of you know BSG has a lot of mythology and and the zodiac influences and you know the almost uh, you know just has that sort of stargateish kind of is that a word <laughs> you know that that kind of quality of, of ancient times with all the drum beats and 
and just uh, you know something sort of mystical going on, and it, it really works. I, I'm I'm guessing that that's all intentional on his part, but uh, a great uh, great uh, composer and uh, a real nice addition uh, to the world of sci-fi uh, music out there. So and very unique as well, like I said earlier. So thanks again, Vartok. Now Admiral Rico will be reviewing a cool new collectible on Treks in Sci-Fi. Okay, the collectible, uh, real quickly for this week that I wanted to talk about, I actually got this uh, several months back, but uh, I decided uh, I finally took it out of the package. What I'm going to talk about, or what I am talking about, is uh, a statue, a little uh, statue uh, by Kotobukiya, who does a lot of Star Wars stuff, but this isn't a Star Wars one. This is actually a uh, statue of Supergirl from the DC Universe. Uh, this, uh, again, is uh, it's done in sort of this PVC plastic that Cody Bukia uses, but they do a very nice job with the, the mold and, and the, the sculpt itself. It's uh, one-sixth scale, so I guess that makes it about uh, a foot tall, maybe uh, give or take, uh, probably a little less than a foot tall. It is uh, very well done. It's probably sort of a modern version of Supergirl, I guess, Supergirl as uh, I've seen her in the comics of recent days. She sort of has this sort of short little skirt on. Her midriff is bare, and then she has the Supergirl top on. It has a nice uh, red cape, the boots, and uh, she looks a lot like the, if you if you pick up Supergirl comic these days, she looks a lot like uh, she does in that comic book. Uh, but it's a very nice, uh, nicely done piece. I, I was really uh, impressed by the, the sculpt of it, and uh, I'm a fan of comics, of course, and I have several statues from you know, DC and, and mostly actually DC, not as many Marvel, even though I'm a big Marvel fan, but for some reason those I just haven't collected as many yet. But this, I think, is the first one from Cody Bukia that I got uh, uh, on the comic book side. They're doing more and more of these, and actually they have a, uh, a cool Iron Man statue that they're doing uh, that's uh, a cold cast type statue or normal kind of, you know, resin or porcelain, I guess you could call it, statue for Iron Man that they're doing that it's going to come out in a several months. I've got it on pre-order, uh, but that will be sort of their first uh, realm or first take into the realm of cold cast statues versus the vinyl type statues they normally do. But again, it's an excellent uh, statue, great paint job. I'll put some uh, pictures and a link to the collectible gallery where I put some photos up yesterday of Supergirl from Kotobukiya. If you're a fan of uh, the DC Universe and comic books and that, uh, and Supergirl especially, I think this is something you'd want to pick up. And the nice thing about Kotobukiya is that most of their pieces are not very expensive. Uh, they tend to be a little less expensive than uh, normal statues that can run $100, $200. I think this only cost me 70 65 or 70 so it wasn't too bad. You can find it, I think, still online at some typical online stores and also on eBay, of course. Well, folks, we come to the another uh, un- the end of another podcast. I I hope you enjoyed uh, this uh, look at a sort of retro, older episode of Star Trek. Talked about a lot of different things in in TV and movies, and a little bit about uh, the Trek movie, and and just lots of different things in between. Thanks again to Vartok. Thanks to the Moyers for uh, what they're you know the great contributions these guys keep doing. And it, you know, if you'd like to contribute, please do so. Uh, anything you've seen or heard or watched or read, uh, send in a review or de- just talk about it. it. Doesn't have to be things I'm covering; it can be something different. Uh, you can always uh, email me at treksf at gmail dot com. Call the voicemail line two zero six 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 one two seven and leave a comment about something either on the podcast 
or just something on the geek side of things that you've done lately. Uh, I Also, I finally got another Attic of My Mind podcast up a couple of days ago. That's over at atticofmymind.com. That's my little short personal show that I do every few weeks. Uh, this one was talking about the new computer that I put together recently and uh, kind of went into some detail on that. So check that out if you haven't. And uh, Oh, also listen to the Anomaly Podcast at anomalypodcast.com. Our friend Jen and Angela's uh, Geeky Girl podcast uh, that comes out, uh, I guess, every couple of weeks. I don't know if they have a regular schedule yet. Uh, uh, I know Angela had a baby recently, so that makes things a little more tricky, as I well know. So uh, next week, uh, we are going to be doing a special show next week. We're going to do a Skype call. Haven't done one of those with all the friends of the podcast uh, lately. Uh, we haven't uh, had a chance in a while. Going to talk about some TV and movie uh, things and topics. Uh, if you're interested in that, there's some details about that over on the uh, Treks and Sci-Fi forums. Also, I think we're going to be recording that uh, next Saturday at uh, 1 p.m., I believe, yeah, 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time over on Skype. So uh, if you're interested, shoot me an email. We'll see if we can get you into the Skype call. I think that's it for now. Uh, everyone take care, and I hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll talk to you again next uh, week. Bye-bye for now. You have been listening to Treks in Sci-Fi with Admiral Rico. This podcast under Creative Commons License 2.5. Please feel free to distribute it to all of your friends around the galaxy.